0: You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. The only people for me are the mad ones.
1: The world is filled with the boring and the barely conscious.
0: Misery loves company.
1: But we don't have to live this way.
0: Jessica and I are here to talk to those the system rejects, to radicals and thought criminals.
1: The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but push the boundaries of acceptable discourse.
0: Those who stare reality in the face and dare it to be different.
1: History isn't made by the timid, and fun is not had by the perpetually afraid.
0: We are the Mad Ones.
1: So let's get to it.
0: Welcome to this very special episode of the Mad Ones. I'm your rebel-ass Yee Yee Deep South host, Cam Harless, and with me as always is the unfettered hater of the state and trad hoe unionizer, Miss <laughs> Jessica Green. How you doing, Jessica?
1: Hi, I'm doing wonderful. <laughs> I'm very excited.
0: <laughs> I'm excited, too. Uh, Because joining us tonight, and you know this, I'm not surprising you here, but uh, joining us tonight is a man that really should be a household name. He's one of the few PhDs to exit academia and the Ivy League to become a force for freedom rather than a trainer of the cathedral shock troops. He's a man who's unafraid to set the record straight about hookers, talk to those polite society calls bad people. He's a creator of an online university for renegades and scalawags. I'd like to welcome one of our very favorite thought criminals,
2: Mr. Thaddeus Russell. <laughs> How you doing, man? Oh my God, what an introduction! I I don't <laughs> I don't think I've ever had as good an introduction as that, Cam. <laughs> um, dude, I'm moved. I'm touched. I honestly, I'm a bit speechless now. That was a, that was really cool. You think I should be a household name, bro? Dude, I think
0: I almost wrote this into the introduction, but I feel like people need to take a renegade history of the United States and put it into the bathroom so that when their guests go to the restroom, they have their ideas challenged Mm. on the toilet.
1: That's
2: yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I I'm all for the toilet strategy. Yeah, that's, that's, they'll that's, have that, a that, place you
1: know. to shit their pants. That's for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect it's a perfect place to read my book because my book is about shit, essentially. You know, <laughs> right? Uh, pe- people who were considered human shit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but actually, but actually, gave us the freedoms. You know, like like being able to shit on a toilet in private with you know plumbing, right? Mm-hmm. yeah uh anyway that was that was a they weird don't tangent. They, they don't do that in <laughs> india it's very what, what it's getting better it's getting better have? but
0: there aren't a lot what of toilets they? in india a couple of years oh, ago when God, one of the damn. one of the one of the guys was running for president that was one of his promise joe biden offered two thousand dollars that he never gave us and this guy offered toilets and it's like we're different
2: i think <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: Damn, I, I'm not. I'm not for the toiletless society. You know, uh, stateless yeah, no. society maybe, but it, not a toiletless one. That sounds not yeah. fun. Well, every yeah. year
1: there's an international convention about toilets and you know just what? sanitation in general. And it's really fun because everybody comes from all around the world and they bring sort of like their new toilet technology and innovations. There's a lot of bizarre things that go on in the world and I like to find out what they are. The toilet convention (laughs) is one of them, but they're, they're working on solving problems. Like the fact that most, not most, but a lot of people in India don't have access to plumbing and that makes like cholera and other types of things an issue. Um, But what I, I wanted to tell you about your book, which I just finished was that um, mm. since childhood, wow. I've been interested in the uh, history of commonplace things because I think that okay. they tell us more about who we are than like the king, who, which king fought which king. You, That's kind of esoteric. But like why a spoon is shaped the way that a spoon is shaped, it kind of tells us a lot more about who we are as like common people. And so I found your book yep. um, rich with that kind of information. And so that mm-hmm. was really exciting for me. I absolutely loved your book and um i need to go through and do like a second listen because there's so much information there it's like um mm-hmm. i my, you know my eyes are terrible so i listen to books and so mm-hmm. i do need to do a couple of passes but i have to tell you it was it was very special to me being that my specific interest in history is common what is common This and book has I been think... out
2: for 11 years Jessica you are the first person to notice <laughs> that about it you're the first person to say that you oh, wow. yeah that is that, yeah, that's, that's absolutely, it's one of the things that I like about it, you know, and that I was trying to do Mm. put forward was that idea. I'm not, by the way, the only historian who's done that. There's a lot of historians who have done that. Yes, So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's one, it's a part of my book, but in a sense, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest parts and one of the biggest arguments I'm making. Yes. The prosaic, the everyday, um, like it's amazing to me (laughs) how that, academics aren't spending like all their time basically watching television mm-hmm. because that's like that's what Americans do eight hours a day I think on average so you want it don't you want it like these people are choosing going out of their way to watch this show or that show right sometimes paying for it mm-hmm. right yeah. mm-hmm. for hours a day okay so it's a central part of their life right and and how is there a better way, other than maybe being their shrink, to understand them than to examine what they choose to do? Right? Mm-hmm. What they mm-hmm. choose what yeah. people choose to do with the time, right? Ninety nine nine percent of that is uninteresting to political people.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Americans are notoriously apolitical. I mean, it seems like we're super political now, but we're really not, right? The reason the discourse has been so charged in fact over the last five years is that americans are political ignoramuses um so they don't know so there's it's a superficiality about it and that just so that leads to hysteria right Right. when you when you just when you just know the top line whether it's that obama the president is a muslim terrorist right it's not it's both sides or it's that you know Trumpists are domestic terrorists, you're just going to, it's, that's comes from some of it's obviously willful, um, uh, you know, attempts to discredit the enemy. But like, I think most of it's genuine. I think, I think most people, you know, who watch MSNBC, like really believe these people are domestic terrorists, that there's racism everywhere, et cetera. But, but that's all, you know, you the three of us know that all that shit is bullshit and that it's mm-hmm. you know so when you're ignorant you um tend to re- tend to go to emotional reactions faster right if your head is full of information about an issue or a topic you know with facts and details and history right really knowing the ideas about an issue you're mm-hmm. going to it's going to it's going to usually going to take you a lot longer to hit your emotional nerves when you hear when you hear an argument, a counter sure. to yours, right? So I mean, like we were talking about Scott Horton before we started, right? Um, you know, <laughs> like does Scott Horton care about war? You know, does he have feelings about it? Few, uh, I, I would imagine. right? <laughs> um, but you know, generally speaking, when he hears some pro-war argument, he doesn't flip out, right? Yeah, he he doesn't like it. <laughs> but he's not going to flip out and be hysterical about it. So what was I, what was the point I was making? There was something <laughs> that just started. I, what was that I don't about? No,
0: but I do think that a, it's interesting that you're, you're talking about um, politics in that way and how we watch eight hours of television. And I wonder if it's, Oh yeah. Because they yeah. are told by the television that this is real and they just apply those emotions that they have and react to in their TV watching, and apply that
2: to the real world. Yeah, that's that gets really tricky. Um, so this comes from pop culture studies, which is a thing in the academy, which <laughs> I was, you know, I'm basically a part of it. I mean, I'm am a I am a historian of American popular culture. In part, it's one of the things I write. <coughs> obviously, Renegade is full, as Jessica noted, is full of that. Um so here's the thing Uh, this is about evidence and i don't know if this is interesting or too in the weeds but you know for historians for social scientists many of us i would say would counsel caution as to what you can divine from from that evidence right Mm -hmm. and what you want to avoid at all costs and this is something that i just can't stand now a lot of academics never got this memo and they do it all the time but trying to make assumptions about what people are thinking Mm -hmm. or or feeling as they're watching um fast and furious part eight whatever you know like (laughs) so you know it really i i wouldn't i wouldn't infer anything about about their state of mind their political ideas their cultural preference oh sorry that's the one thing. Um, but there any any ideas that would be significant for, you know, politics or policymakers. No, I can't tell you. But I can mm-hmm. tell you that they spent two hours and probably some money to watch this thing. OK, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> this thing, then you what you do is you analyze it against the standard of the dominant culture. So, what does the dominant culture think of Fast and Furious Part Eight? Um, and then, if you find out that there's some taboo against Fast and Furious Part Eight, or that it is despised by one section of the society—that's a powerful de- section of society—well, then watching it constitutes a minor but truly everyday form of rebellion, resistance. Hmm.
3: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, obviously we're not talking about like, you know, the South African ANC, like taking up guns against the apartheid regime or anything like that level, sure. but it's actually, this is actually where real, rev- and this is Jessica, where kind of, I think where you started. To me, that's where the most profound revolutions happen is right. in everyday is in everyday life. The thing that you're interested in, mm-hmm. Jessica, the stuff right. that looks tri- mm-hmm. trivial, trivial mm-hmm. Right. To to everyone, especially, especially academics, right? Um, You change that, change the way you get out of bed and eat breakfast and go to work and, you know, um, mm-hmm. and watch and watch TV and listen to podcasts and y- you change all that. What's left to change? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a revolution. Right, and right. we've had many, many the the beautiful thing about our society in particular meaning american society in my view is that we've had more of those revolutions than i maybe any other country right mm-hmm. yeah um in terms of day-to-day patterns and this is partly just from being rich being a rich country you know rich people can do this more easily but yeah we the nice thing about america for me is that it's not terribly traditionalist <laughs> mm-hmm. you know in fact right. it really isn't i mean for instance the fact that Christianity is, let's see, what is, how Christianity is, is looked down upon, you know, Mm -hmm. by the, I think by the, by the, by the people who edit, publish the newspapers and produce the cable news shows. Right. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's weird and corny and actually like embarrassing a little bit to hear someone on television talking about their faith.
0: Yeah.
3: Right.
2: like that's my feeling. I'm like, ooh, even if I don't want to feel that, which I don't. Like, I want people to think whatever they want, but I'm always like, ooh, your faith? Ooh, god, you are from another class of human being. It's not that's mm-hmm. beneath me and my friends.
1: Sure. So, well, not to um, mention
0: every time they do it, it's so sit. poorly done that it's incredible. It's like cuz I'm I I'm, I'm a Christian man. And so like I watch oh, some of these there you things go. And I, I I I see them display Christianity in such a way and I'm uh-huh. like, maybe there are some like shallow, poor examples of Christians that act this way. But uh-huh. my entire life, no one has talked about it like this this awkwardly and dumbly. At least uh-huh. not in in the place where they're talking to people they know. You know, like there's some stumbling in, around people you don't know. But it's like you hear right. these people talking to people they love and they I don't know, none of it strikes as
2: true. And so what I did think, that think that's also it? interesting. But this is sort of evidence. Can Jessica hear us?
1: Yeah, can you guys hear uh, yourselves in a feedback, by the way?
2: Uh, yeah, only that. slightly. Okay, okay I'll slightly turn it down. I'm sorry, my,
1: I can't connect with my headphones right now. I'm so sorry, guys, please continue.
2: It's okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, but think about, think about um, a place like Indonesia or Saudi Arabia or Pakistan having an attitude toward Islam like we have an as an attitude yeah. toward Christianity now Christians are not being lynched in the streets you know don't get me yeah. wrong about this but we have certainly kind of turned our back in a way right and certainly yeah. within the dominant culture I mean that's why there's Christian rock like they have <laughs> they have to, so to make their they have to make their own rock it's not really not really a lot <laughs> Some of, Christian of it's. Because they've had to make their own fucking rock and roll music. I mean, yeah. because they're Christians, okay? Imagine if that were the case for Muslims in a place like Pakistan, right? Yeah. So my big point that I was making, and I'm glad I finally circled back <laughs> to this, is it, this is evidence of non-traditionalism in the United States, in the, in American culture. And I think that's actually... This is not a diss on Christianity. It says nothing. No, but I think that's generally a really good thing, right? I mean, yeah. if you if you have a small l, small l, small l libertarian um, <laughs> bone in your bone in your body, you're gonna you're gonna at least have some tension with traditionalism. Yeah. Now I know there's a lot of libertarians who are also <laughs> consider themselves to be also conservative and also traditionalists. Mm-hmm. To yeah, to some extent, but you can't. That doesn't. It, it's sorry. Uh. Uh-uh. It's not okay. I mean, you can't really. I don't think you can justify that as your politics. It doesn't make any sense. You can't. I just don't think you can be both at once. Um, so,
1: just a question about that: Do you think that a person can inhabit those things in their life, but not inhabit them in their politics? Like, exactly. I I do have like tradition, tradi- more traditional values than maybe comparative uh-huh. to some, but I don't wish mm-hmm. to enforce it on anyone. Like, um, I mm-hmm. don't think that sex work is a good idea, but I wouldn't want Mm -hmm. to make it illegal um, for many of the reasons that you stated in your book. And also, you know, that it can be quite dangerous for the people who participate in it. But I also Mm -hmm. don't, um, you know, think that it's a good thing either. So like two Mm -hmm. things maybe being true at the same time.
2: How is it not good?
1: Well, like I said, maybe the da- the the da- more dangerous aspects of it, like I, I, okay. I'm glad that it's available to women who need to avail themselves of it. And I wouldn't take that away from them, but I wouldn't want my own daughter to have to avail herself of it. For now,
2: be- because of the physical danger involved?
1: Because I do see danger involved because there's, you know, like violence and all sorts of things right. that kind of accompany that. And I, I think so that you- is increased, of course, by the state's involvement in it it no, would it's be less
2: it. it's created entirely by it, it would right. be one, it would be one of this it was it was sorry it was the safest occupation in the united states before the state cracked down on it so my whole chapter 4 right which is about this right shows how in the until the late 19th century prostitution laws were essentially unenforced
3: mm-hmm.
2: in much of the country you know so it you know the business pretty much operated as if it were an above-ground business.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and during that time, I show very well in the book, right? And I'm like one of 20 historians who've done this work, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, that those women who worked in that business were the best paid, the wealthiest, had health care provided for them, mm-hmm. um, had security, right? They, they would hire ex-cops to be their security guards.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: And raping a, a prostitute in a 19th century brothel will get you killed. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so it didn't happen. I mean, it happened. I mean, it happened as often as it happened in a normal house, but probably less, actually. I bet there was less murder in brothels then, than in a house. It was only when they started cracking down. And they, what they did was, once, they, once you make it truly illegal, what can you not have? You can't mm-hmm. have a brothel anymore. Right. Right. The, the existence of thousands of brothels across the United States for a century or more is evidence that it was not enforced. As soon as they started enforcing it, they shut down the brothels, of course. So right. there goes your security. Boom. You're done. Right. Sure. Um, and then if you want to have security of any kind, who do you have to call? You have to call these guys named pimps who Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly are piece of shit criminals Mm -hmm. with violent, with violent tendencies, right? The pimp didn't exist. All the broth before then, all the brothels were owned by madams before they cracked down women who were former Mm -hmm. sex workers themselves. So the reason, just like with a drug war, right? There's no, all a hundred percent of the violence associated with drugs is because Mm -hmm. of the law against drugs. Yeah. Because once you create a black market, right, the only people who will enter that market are bad people. <laughs> yes. You know?
1: Okay. But do we also yeah. say that they're just because you, you could remove those da- dangers that there would be no negatives associated with drug use or n- negatives associated with prostitution, which would certainly be the mm-hmm. case? There'd be health effects in both cases. You could get venereal disease or whatever. So, like, I mean, I don't, maybe, maybe don't think that, um, not preferring it as a career for someone that I care about um, mm-hmm. means, of course, that I would want the state to do any of these things. Prostitutes, what I'm are, saying.
2: prostitutes are way less likely to get STDs. Why do you think? I,
1: <laughs> I, I I would venture maybe because they get tested more often or use safe sex procedures. No, or...
2: no because they're professionals. Right. Right. OK. They're they're protecting not just their body, they're protecting their business. So sure. and also because because the sex act is a purely business act for them,
3: mm-hmm.
2: there's there's no like moment of drunken passion where you're just like, oh, forget the condom, which okay. is what people who give it away for free do.
1: <laughs> Fair.
2: <laughs> That's yeah. exactly what happens in most non-commercial sexual transactions. OK. Right. That's super common, in fact, right? Where you get real lax with the birth control. Why? <laughs> because you're about to have sex and, you know, things get elevated and you, you know, you start, stop There's thinking so rationally. This is well known. This is super common, right? Yeah. But if you're a professional who doesn't give a shit about having a relationship with the person afterward, really? right? And you're yeah. not there for the sex, you're there for the money you're going to be real, real careful. So, yeah, no, prostitutes get STDs way less often.
1: Do you think that the view of, and I'm sorry, I'm just kind of going to flow here. I'm not, just for clarity, oh, not necessarily pushback. Do you think that the idea that there are um, like the stigmas attached to sex via like the immorality of them, they come from like older places, um, you know, like, for example, mm. we get the a lot of ideas from the Bible no. uh, about, you know, like (laughs) women who are not chaste in their marriage and, you know, holding on to their virginity for their husbands and things like that. And Cam, if Mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm misquoting the Bible, please correct me. Um, (laughs) but, uh, so I, I, and I think that those stories and those narratives were developed out of like practical, um, things that came through our survival. And like, Mm -hmm. we had to survive in these groups and we had to like have, um, I know you're not the biggest uh, fan of Jordan Peterson, but he talks about how like you have to, um, you have to develop these ways of, of, of existing in a group so you don't kill each other. And mm-hmm. so like um, daughter protection and things like that do have a purpose in the sense that they, they do kind of keep us from um, competing <laughs> for women and things like that. So um, not to say that these two things should be enforced by a state. I'm never saying that I but the you. idea that they yeah. come from a place that is a, of a practical nature and not like a social construct kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Um, So first of all, I love talking to people with conservative ideas Um, Mm -hmm. because as you guys probably know, like I was raised, I didn't, I, this is amazing. This is totally true. Not an exaggeration. I swear to God, you know, (laughs) I was born, I was born and raised in Berkeley in the 1960s and 70s and 80s. Right. So, you know, anything? if you know anything about Berkeley, okay, it's, it was, so this is not a a joke either. Dude, 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 no more than that. Okay. (laughs) The entire time I lived here as a child and a, and a young adult from the age of zero to 21, I was basically living here, 22. Uh, the entire time, the Berkeley City Council and the mayor were dominated by the Communist Party of the United States of America, CPU. The mayor and a majority, the mayor, his name is Gus Newport, you can look it up. The mayor and the majority of the Berkeley City Council my entire time living here um, was CPUSA members. I did not meet a Republican <laughs> until I was 20 years old. Huh? <laughs> wow. Yeah.
1: I grew up I in a not- sea of them, so that's a bizarre <laughs> way to grow up for me.
2: <laughs> I get this. I did not know a single, well, I did not know a single practicing Christian, like, ever. <laughs> like, among, like, except, like, my, re- my Mormon relatives, who I never talked to, but, like, people in my <laughs> life. There was yeah. no one in my life who went to church. No one. Hmm. No.
3: To what it
2: Still. Still, that's true. I'm ne- I mean, really, never. I mean, I guess I've known people who have, but I can't even think of anybody who's gone to church. I mean, even now, like my whole life. <laughs> Here's so, a fun thing that you don't know it right now. Yeah. But Do you see this yeah.
0: this stupid, expensive piece of paper right here? No. Behind me. Oh, there's a there's a stupid, <laughs> no. expensive piece of paper that I own. Um, okay. Biblical studies I frame, degree.
1: It's got a seal. So
0: oh, that was like my language. thing. Yeah.
2: Wait, say it again. What was it?
0: Biblical studies. That's, that's what my um,
2: bachelor's is in. Yep. Uh, Oh, where'd you go to school?
0: Well, I went to a couple of them. This one I ended up on uh, finishing up online because I didn't realize it was a mistake to go to college and get all that debt until three years in. And so uh, (sighs) I finished up online at some place in Arkansas. Um, I, I just wanted to finally pay. i I paid enough for the piece of Sounds paper. Sounds prestigious. Let me put it on my wall. <laughs> well, then that's the thing. It's not important to me because everything no. that I've learned outside of college has been far better, far of more course. important, and far deeper than anything I learned in college. Oh God! And so it's like, it's <laughs> and so it's like closed. people are like, oh well, you know, you have this this uh, this degree. You know, you can use that as credential. And I'm like, I never do because that doesn't mean shit to me what <laughs> what means to me is the fact that i sat down and was like i want to figure this out i want to understand this a little bit better and yeah. it's just it's just so crazy because like i i thought for sure like so i i actually never went to a public school in my life mm. i went to a private christian school and i ended up homeschooling from like 8th grade on mm-hmm. and so people when they talk about how there's um uh propaganda and all of that in the public school system i'm like (laughs) yeah no it's in the private school system too because i got all the same stuff that i had to deprogram from afterwards right and so it's like yeah it's better sort of
2: no i still had to sit and read (laughs) this is this is further evidence of andrew breitbart's dictum brilliant dictum <clears throat> which I guess I, I believe before he articulated it, but, you know, he said it really well um, and very simply, which is that law is downstream from culture. Right. Mm,
3: yeah. I believe that. So.
2: So why is it that private school curricula look exactly the same as public school curricula? Right. Because the because yeah. the dominant culture says that we should be <laughs> teaching that shit.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Right. The dominant culture, believe you know, whatever's being taught in the schools and the public schools, that, you know, hello, we do have a democracy. Yes, we really do. And especially for school boards, especially for school boards, right? And state Mm -hmm. legislatures—that's who—that's who who establishes the curriculum, you know. Especially in a small state, yeah, you really, you really, you really choose those assholes up there who do that stuff, right? And they're (laughs) actually quite accountable to you. It's not like it's not voting for president, you know. It's this is you know pretty direct. It's relatively direct direct democracy in this country. Um. So the culture is gonna demand that curriculum, whether they're paying for their education or not, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a damn shame, but that's the way it goes. So, I mean, now also the other thing it tells us about the culture is that people, and this is is seen literally on the faces of people every day now, is that uh, very unfortunately, the vast majority of Americans, it appears from all these cases, basically believe what the government says yeah basically
1: sad to realize that yeah but it's true
2: they they assume that the government is essentially fundamentally on our side think about that but that's that's true right now it doesn't mean they don't criticize it It doesn't mean they don't criticize it it doesn't mean that they won't go on and on uh crying about the vietnam war Mm -hmm. (laughs) or things, or, th- or the Iraq war, you know. But if you just, but if you, but you can just see that this lockdown and mask thing um, and then private schools taking their cue from public schools, right? Yeah. That's that's saying, that's basically ceding authority to the state. yeah,
0: um, Especially a Christian private school. And that's like, right. so you talked, you, you were talking about- right that's right. uh, how like the, the traditionalism kind of is at odds with libertarianism. And this is it's why one I, of those I'm things. Sorry. Oh no, sorry. No, I was just going to say, no, that's, that it's one of the things that I, I don't disagree with because like, I can tell you I'm an anarchist all day and for everyone around me, for everyone I talk to, that's absolutely true. But if I'm talking to someone who is a Christian or who knows a little bit more, mm. dude, I'm a monarchist. I just mm. reject This, Thing I, I I was like I was talking to someone years ago and they were like oh well if you know anarcho-capitalist isn't good for you uh, what what would you use and I was like I'd have to make up a term here we go uh, patient monarchist
2: are you a I Yarkonite? Like,
0: well I I'm I'm a malice I'm an anarcho malician I'm a big fan of oh. malice and so oh. by way of osmosis in a sense but not I, I mean uh, monarchism you... insofar as Jesus is king
2: not you gotta some get the... asshole oh. here. Oh, then you're not a Yarvanite. No, I see. Okay, okay, I gotcha. So you're um, you're a the- when- you're a, the- you're, a the- you're a theocrat.
0: No, well, s- sort of, no? but I, it's 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 Sounds it's like a monarchism. But I don't... well the- theocracy is very like Pakistan is a theocracy. It's yep. like men doing the will of God, men leading for God. Well, my th- my thing is yeah. they're all assholes. I just literally reject oh. hum- humanity in that role i see okay so all
2: er- earthly rulers you reject mm, all right. earthly rulers yeah. right Fuck all the C- all the caesars
0: yes. yes yeah
2: but cam what did jesus say about caesar
0: he said <laughs> don't get your ass killed by not paying your
2: taxes we have more important you, shit to do <laughs> and you really you really think that's what he meant i absolutely think that's what he meant yeah. render unto caesar, caesar he, really was just he was just that was just practical because Jesus was a super practical thinking guy. He was holding
1: really? a coin at the moment.
2: <laughs> that them you want to go into so so he did
0: ask for a coin, and he he asked he asked um the one the Pharisees, you know whose whose pictures on this coin? Yeah, and he they said Caesar, and he said, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Um, I think that. If you look at the mythos, the overarching meta narrative of the Bible, and you look into um, Genesis, it talks about how uh, we were made to be imagers, or created in the image of God. And so, I mm-hmm. think when Jesus was talking, he was talking into this. He was showing you a graven image, and he said, "Give to Caesar what is Caesar's." That mm-hmm. had that had Caesar's face on it. Mm-hmm. But what do I have in my possession? that bears the image of God.
2: Me. Okay. So until, I I ma- until you make a coin with you on
1: it.
2: It's gonna be a crypto coin, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it is, those NFTs are
0: gonna be tight. Um, right. But but no, that's I, I do think that when it came, because there were several times within the gospels where Jesus was like, hey, don't tell people who I am yet. Because I have to live in this world and I have to get to the point where I am going to do what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that he would use the concept of the coin and taxation and giving unto Caesar what is Caesar's as a concession to say there's more important stuff for us to do, I think Mm -hmm. is very plausible within that. All
2: right. Here's the great thing. Go ahead, ahead. please. Well, I was going to say, I think
1: there's also a, um, a parable where he talks about the wheat and the tares. And should we pull up the tares out of the wheat? And he says, "No, you don't want to disturb the roots where the wheat mm. is growing. And if you pull the mm. tares out of the wheat, you will disturb the roots. And so you must pa- let the tares grow up with the wheat." And I think paleo- that, that also. Go ahead. He's a paleo.
2: <laughs> he was a he was a paleocon.
1: A paleocon, <laughs>
2: right? That, that's that's classical conservatism right there.
0: Right. It, the uh, don't tear down a fence when you don't know why it's there. Well, yeah.
2: I always
1: thought that that was more in reference no. to people, um, yeah. like individuals. That you know, we're same thing, yeah. Same thing.
2: So the the egalitarian comes in with his big sickle, you mm-hmm. know, and he just cuts off the tops of everybody to make them equal. Right. Right. So, but it's, isn't it's it's a this a psychological... re-
1: reference to pulling out things by the root and how it will disturb the roots of the other plants around what,
2: it? Which Which book is this in? I don't know what you're referring so to. So it's
1: in it's in Matthew, and I've only read a few. Books oh, really? Ago. Yeah, I
2: used to teach. I used to teach Matthew. Okay, Um, so
1: I know it's in Matthew only because I've only read three books of the Bible. (laughs) And Matthew was the one I paid the most attention to.
2: Yeah, Matthew's great because at the end of it is the beginning of imperialism, Cam. (laughs) So the the whole idea of imperialism was invented right there and then. Because
0: Constantine this whole time.
2: The, it's the, I mean, it's the, what's it called? It's called the Great Commission. You know about this in the Bible? Mm-hmm.
0: Go out into the all the world and preach the gospel to all nations.
2: Correct. Yes. Um, yeah, that's the origin of it. Even, Evangel- evangelicalism, which immediately, well, it is, it is imperialism in itself, right? So mm-hmm. that's, don't. Most biblical scholars regard that as a call to evangelize. I mean, oh yeah, and I mean, it's it's yeah, it's a call it's a call to
0: evangelize for sure.
2: Yeah, and to and to assimilate people into the Christian project. So it's straight up imperialism. Like it's the it's the good sh- it's the pure good uncut shit right there. That's that's the origin <laughs> of it. Don't you think? Don't you think?
1: maybe in the sense of the way that it's (laughs) the way that a person would evangelize because there are like physical types of evangelism. And then there's like just Mm -hmm. living your life and then people go, Hey, why are you like, what's, what's going on with you that makes things good for you. And then you can share that with them, which is not the same thing as like empirically, like, or that's not the right word. Um, Being an imperialist and going out and conquering other people's souls. Like you can attract them by your light as well.
2: Yeah. Um, But you don't need to evangelize to do that. You can just live a life that is so enviable that other people will emulate it.
1: Is that not in and of itself a type of evangelism? You are expressing yourself still
2: by by your act
1: of not trying to uh, force people into your ways and things of that nature.
2: No, there's nothing. If your intentions are pure of that, then you're just you're just living a godly life. There's nothing imperialist or evangelical about that. That's of course, that's fine. It's, it's actively going out. So here's the thing though. There is an imperialist assumption in it though, (laughs) which is that your life is better than their life than the other person's life. And that, that. and it gets worse. You know, you know what they need in their life, but they don't. So that's, That is the idea in the head of every imperialist in human history, right? Mm -hmm. When I say imperialist, I don't mean just conquering and pillaging. I'm talking about people who go and transform, like Caesar. I mean, Caesar was the first great imperialist after the Bible was written, at the time of the Bible, at the time of the Bible. So, I mean, in history, he was the, and it's not coincidental that it was all at the same time, right? Um, he didn't do it on a Christian mission, but his idea was to transform all of Europe into what's now called Europe into Rome.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So the Caesar tradition is, what's what I meant, I like followed all the great imperialists, followed the Bible right. after that. Um, because that idea of it being beneficial, being a benefactor to others, right? That's what I mean by imperialism. The oh belief that, y- that you can r- raise people up and should raise people up to live the way that you do <laughs> that's the seed of imperialism that's in the in the heart of teddy roosevelt it's in the heart of joseph stalin it's in the heart of woodrow wilson i mean that's and i'm and i'm this is what they themselves said mm-hmm. right? every imp- caesar oh, yeah. said every Richard caesar wilson said this and the social yeah, but all, of it, yeah all the british imperialists they all believed. What's his face? The big one who colonized South Africa. I'm forgetting. Oh, Cecil Rhodes. Cecil Rhodes was like the big one. He really took this Christian idea and made it political. You know, he was all about the British Empire. Was all about helping, helping yeah. the people of India, and South Africa. All about that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And Rhodesia. It was about making them live better lives, which was about making them live like Englishmen. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah.
2: You know, the English, the way English way of life, we know that's superior to the (laughs) way that people anywhere else live, but certainly in Africa. And so the closer they are, it's utterly narcissistic. You get that right.
1: (laughs) Is it narcissistic to feel that it is better (laughs) to have toilets and not have water with cholera in it? Now toilets are, an invention of the West, but to want to bring them to India, is that imperialism necessarily? Or is it just like wanting people to have clean water?
2: Not if they're asking for it. Sure. sure. Okay. No, of course not. No. If, if the people of India say, Hey, we would like some toilets. No, giving so, them toilets. There's nothing imperialist about that. Not at so all. in
1: in And just for my personal experience, as far as like Christianity goes, like um, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't offer it to anybody who wasn't asking for it. And I, I, I don't know that all Christian, I definitely know that all Christians don't agree with me and feel right. they need to even go pe- to people's doors knocking to see right. if they can, you know, sell you Christianity. I, I, I'm not of that vein. I, I, but I do think there is a kind of evangelism in an example, you know? And so if, Hey, you see my toilets work <laughs> and you want some toilets, I have toilets to offer you. And you know, that, <laughs> That can be, a, 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 I guess, a colonization. Like, okay, so let me mm-hmm. rewind a little bit if I can. The Vikings. The Vikings were superior in might to the Angles. The Danes were superior to the Angles in might and military and, you know, mm-hmm. some of their cultural ways, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. But none, nevertheless, the Vikings were Christianized. And I think that, that there's something to say about the. Um, the the things that Christianity does offer to people that would make the um the Danes and 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 the other peoples surrounding that whole thing uh kind of like adopt these ways. Like by all accounts, militarily they should have conquered. And they did mm-hmm. in a lot of ways conquer. <laughs> and then the culture, the Christian culture overtook them still. And they had to have willingly adopted that because they had the military might. They could have forced their way on the people there. Sure. Sure. Um, so like it, it, it seems to me that there is a, a something in Christianity that lends itself to being adopted and like there's a positive arc in the world because of the adoption of Christianity throughout the world.
2: It's a great story.
1: Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like even a, if you just parent- look at it from the narrative aspect, like it benefits I mean, people.
2: Well, I mean, I don't, I mean, I mean, it's a great story in that, as you're saying, many and probably most Christians Um, found in the story something utterly compelling, Mm
3: -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Um, Without, regardless of what people told them about it, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, people who are true believers. I'm not talking about the kid who was born into a Catholic family and was dragged to Sunday school. I'm talking about people who, like, are true believers, right? Right, right, right. Um, And certainly converts, obviously, Mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of converts. I mean, voluntary converts, Right here. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's a soup. So, so we kind of we know that it's a good story and that we know that it's effective. Okay. okay. Um. Now, now that I know that, I think okay, what is it about the story that would that would be attractive or compelling to people who live in say the United States, American twenty one, mm-hmm. right? And then, yeah, I can think of some reasons. I can think of reasons why it might be compelling or has been compelling to people uh, across the world for two millennia. Um, what do you power. think, Jessica? What do you think? What is, what's compelling to you when, you? when did you convert, by the way?
1: So um, a little bit about this my, is my background. This is my show was, now. I'm
2: sorry? <laughs> I said this is my show now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Go ahead. If, if you wish. I actually, um, it was interesting to me that you referred to me as a conservative. Um, it still strikes me as well odd when I hear that because um, oh, for yeah. the longest time I was a full-on woke SJW leftist oh. warrior for um, oh. what a lot of people would consider postmodernism.
2: Now um, I know, now I know why Christianity makes so much sense to you because it's the same—it's the exact same moral structure as the left.
1: So, the I, left. I, oh, okay. So now I—I I, I actually that yeah. hits because I agree with that. And I think that what fundamentally made me want to be a social justice warrior is my um, belief in those Judeo-Christian values. And like and I do think that like Christianity, for example, is a women's equality movement, which I know sitting in 2021 sounds insane. But if you were sitting back in the time that the Bible was written, it's like this crazy hippie humanitarian text that the people of the time were like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Correct. So yes. I have understood that perspective and have realized the positive arc that Christianity has put the entire world on. And I think that that's powerful. And I struggle with my um, relationship with the spiritual, but Mm -hmm. I ethically and um, uh, practically am a Christian. Just I was raised in America. So like Judeo Christian values Mm -hmm. are like sort of Mm -hmm. programmed into me. So there's like, Mm -hmm. even if I called myself an atheist, which I did for a long time, I would have been a sort of like Christian atheist in a way.
2: Okay. Um, So here's, so I want to know what you think those, what you think Judeo Christian values are.
1: Sure. So um, basically, some of the things, and, you know, not that I'm like a big fan of like the Puritans or any of the people like that, but traditional family values. um, Meaning what? Just like the belief. What does that mean? Like, okay. So like we have the 10 commandments, right? So it's like respect thy yeah. mother and father. There's value in that. Um, okay. Don't covet okay. thy neighbor's wife. Don't steal his property. You know, that kind okay. of thing. So those what? come from um, like what I think are objective truths. And I, I, this is something we could definitely <laughs> go into a rabbit hole on. And I wish we had forever yeah. to talk because we, I would. Uh-huh. Um, but I think there, they, those values exist because they're practical and they helped us survive mm-hmm. in the wild and that's why they right. became part of that narrative.
2: Right. Okay. So subsequent history has vindicated it. Yes, suggesting.
1: For right. Yeah, I think that's definitely true.
2: Because Judeo-Christian countries have been so peaceful.
1: No. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, and inc- yeah, okay. that's yeah, and that's a great point Whoops. to bring up because I think if we tra- traveled back in time and the thing that we would see that would shock us the most is the level of violence that is commonplace. And so today we exist in a lot more peaceful environment than our ancestors ever could have like imagined. And violence is shocking to us because of that reason, but it wasn't to those people. And Mm so, you know, that was kind of the point I was making before about, you know, I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds here, but that was the point I was making before about like practical survival. So we don't kill each other because it's Mm -hmm. maybe in our nature to be tribal and violent. And we mm-hmm. can overcome that, you know, kind of like um, malfunction of humanity by placing these values that we have found benefit us through cooperation <clears throat> instead of yeah. violence and coercion.
2: I, I just want to talk more about these values. Okay. So, so um, there's those are some values, yeah, that are in there that I that I read. Um, but there's some other values, and I think there's some values that are bigger. Than those that underlie all of Christianity that are the basis of it, and for me, and this is just me, you know, there's been a few debates about what the Bible really says, (laughs) all right? (laughs) No kidding, (laughs) mass, massive, endless debates ever since Luther and Calvin came along. But, um, I think I am not at all unusual in saying that the (laughs) fundamental value is sacrifice of oneself for God? Yes or no?
0: Hmm. I would say it's more sacrifice of oneself for
2: others. God because children, I mean even
0: yeah community, I mean
2: God's community. God's community yeah I mean that's part of it but yeah, but that's but that's serving God, right God wants us to have a particular yeah. community and so you're doing his work by mm-hmm. sacrificing yourself. And I don't mean killing yourself. Sure, sure. But right. so, self-altruism so as Rand would talk about it. So if you read Romans, the epistle to the Romans by Paul, the Apostle Paul, that's the, that's the big one right there. Because in there, he says, let's sacrifice, the word, sacrifice our bodies
3: mm-hmm.
2: on the altar to serve God. I mean, it depends on which translation, right? The King, I forget right. the King James, but it's, everyone agrees that's what he's saying. So, Asceticism, asceticism is, everyone agrees, is the core of Christianity, which is the sacrificing of specific things. It's not your life. That would be stupid. It's your individual pleasure and freedom. So they go hard on sex immediately after the Bible. So if you look at Augustine, City of God, incredible book, one of the top, most famous, important Christian theologians of all time. Yep. He says straight up, he talks about sex a lot in there, and it's just, it's all about that. But many people have interpreted Romans as specifically targeting because he talks about sacrificing the body. To, again, sometimes the members are used, right? Sacrificing the <laughs> members, right? For God. Um, and obviously, and then wealth, sacrifice your wealth, right? For God. You should not own wealth. We, that's very clear. He was a socialist. He was a socialist. When I read Jesus, when I read the Bible, which was in college and I read it cover to cover in a class, I was a socialist then. And I was like, this is my homeboy right here. (laughs) Jesus is a total socialist. And I loved it. Yeah.
1: But he doesn't advocate for Rome to come and take your wealth, the wealth from the rich people and redistribute it. He advocates for the wealthy man to give his wealth away. So I don't know that socialism would describe that as much as like voluntary charity.
0: They well, tried wait, wait, wait. socialism in Acts,
2: and it failed.
0: No, And that's on. a
2: big storyline. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need a state for socialism. What you, if everyone, hold on, if everyone, everyone in their hearts is a true believing socialist, you don't need any state at all, because everyone will voluntarily get up at 5 a.m. Sure. and go to, a meet, go to a meeting to plan the stoplights in town. And then they'll go voluntarily to the factory and work in the solar panel factory for eight hours. And then after that, they will voluntarily go study the the marine environment if they live along the coast because they'll have to make policy around uh, waste being dumped into the, you know what I mean? That's socialism where you work and you manage society. Everyone does all the time because that's what it requires, right? Imagine managing your society Imagine truly being the ruler, right? Like, Jessica, you own this shit. Like, you own the United States. Truly, like, really. That means you have to, like, do a lot of meetings. You have to do a lot of work. Um, That's Christian. That's a Christian idea. That's exactly what the Puritans were all about. And they said, and here goes your example idea, by the way, about setting an example rather than forcing it on people. Sure, yeah. So the the Puritans called it the city upon a hill idea. Mm -hmm. This is John Winthrop on his way over on the boat he says this allegedly in a speech we will we will create a city upon a hill that is so great I'm paraphrasing now that all the nations of the world all the people of the world will look at us and emulate it and create their own cities upon a hill I mean talk about like arrogance but you know at least he wasn't he wasn't an imperialist in that way it's kind of amazing later they become later they definitely become imperialist but not then um so asceticism the sacrifice of one's own freedom and pleasure in per, in particular right it's not cool to be going to the movies if you have god's work to do right, right. if there's if, if the school down the street needs repair right and you go to and we find out that you've been going to the movies all day you're you're bad <laughs> you're bad you should be on that all the time right So, and sex, sex is only, if it's not, if it's not for procreation, it is only one thing, self-serving pleasure. Boom. That's it. That's all your, there's nothing communal about it. It's anti-communal.
1: If I can ask you, one of the points you made in the beginning of your book that I thought was interesting was uh, you said something about all of the people that I'm about to describe, if they ran our society, it would not Uh be a good thing. Yeah, we would definitely like there'd be a great deal dirtier, dirtier than we are now, maybe not have clean water or toilets or anything like that. So um, Mm -hmm. wouldn't wouldn't it stand to reason that, of course, we don't want to go so far into Puritanism that we're burning women for dancing on Sunday, you know, but um, (laughs) also that like social shame has a place in kind of keeping us um, from, you know, sort of our Maybe more baser nature. Like you acknowledge, I, I I would assume because of that statement you made in your book that human beings do have some tendencies that are not good for us. That um, if we give over entirely to those tendencies, now pleasure is not a bad thing. Believe me, I, I, I enjoy my cannabis, you know, so I'm not uh, opposed to pleasure. But um, that if we mm. give over to these things without that, that um, balance, that tip of, you know, call it shame, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that Mm -hmm. we would maybe devolve as a people.
2: Okay. So shame is absolutely effective in general, not always though. And this is actually something Foucault noticed. Um, Shame is, I should say, it's, it has often been effective in getting people to do things Mm
3: -hmm.
2: or getting people to not do things, right? Sure. In, in terms of meaning as a as a means of coercion, which is what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what, sh- that's what if shame you, you want to just coercion. drink all day. Your friends and your family have to sort of coerce you out of doing that or you'll die. Like,
2: yeah, and bullshit, and shaming is one way to is, is a court is an act of coercion, right?
1: The shame of society that you would feel maybe being a drunk probably keeps a lot of people from being drunks is you know, I think maybe uh, uh, like a point in its favor?
2: Well, that I doubt, but maybe, um, but, but that's, <laughs> but, but so I will grant you that it is often effective. Okay. And getting the result we want. Um, but I want you to acknowledge that it's a form of coercion. And then most of all, I want you to think about what the alternative might be are there alternative ways of getting people to do things that you all the, the three of us would all agree is beneficial to everyone and to me i'd much rather have a system of incentives i'd re- much mm-hmm. rather give i'd much rather change behavior through incentives
3: mm-hmm. where mm-hmm.
2: they get they get something good if they do the thing mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: than have a, a world a world a wash in bad feelings which is what shame is. So to your point. I don't want bad feelings. I want people feeling happy. Oh, if I do this, I'll make X dollars, X amount of dollars, or I will have a better relationship with my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, So for me, let me, sorry, last thing. No,
1: no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I
2: I am a recovering alcoholic. So I've been sober sober for eight years. And the benefit, the reason staying sober has been pretty easy for me is, and the main reasons, um, I stay sober is that, is I get benefits that are basically pleasurable. Like I look better, like, Mm
3: -hmm. you know,
2: I used to be really puffy when I was drinking. And so like, (laughs) it's, it's like, I get a lot of pleasure from looking better. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I just have been in much better shape and I have more time and there's benefits that are actually pleasurable in not drinking. And that's the reason I, I, I'd I stop. I don't drink.
0: Okay. Well, and, so and I, I do think that that's an interesting uh, point to make because if you look yeah. at a lot of the research on addiction, be it heroin, alcohol, whatever. My dad's an it Well, he's not with us anymore. But he was a heroin addict. Mm, and I saw wow. how his life was. I saw he his life ended early, mm. obviously, um, because of different things that he chose to do. But one of the things that I've noticed um, in recent days is when they do these studies that it isn't the shame or the jail or uh, sometimes it's not even the rock bottom that makes people decide not to be an addict. What changes people from addicts, you're right, it is incentive, but I think the biggest incentive is community and love. And having those relationships because yeah. like they did the rat study where like they, they put rats in a maze and they put yeah. uh, i don't know if it was cocaine or heroin or what in one yeah. of the water bottles and when the rat was alone that dude was a tweaker but as soon as they put all of the rats in the same cage with the yep. regular water and the tweaky water yep. they almost none of them used it and so yep. addiction i don't think is treated by shame <clears throat> I do think it's treated by love I do think it's treated by incentive and I think that um of course there are a lot of different obviously there are a lot of arguments when it comes to Christianity and how it presents and how people have used it in the past but I do think that what led my father to 34 years of complete sobriety from any form of drug Mm. was love And that was the love that came from him finding Jesus and finding my mom. Uh And so, I I mean, I I do think that you make a lot of good points. And I think that, you know, I understand the concept of Christianity as starting imperialism, but I would say Christianity used imperialism and some really bad dudes like St. Augustine probably wrote, some good stuff, but he was the <laughs> one who first tied the, the church to the state and him and Constantine. Oh, like that oh. was like, that was like, and that's kind of, this. I forget his name is uh, Q the abolitionist. Uh, he's a, a, another podcaster. And he talked about how uh, ca- Catholicism is really um, the bastard child of the church and the state. And I was like, Oh, wow. Yep. That's definitely an interesting way to think about it. and, True. Constantine was a big part of that.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, the church, which then became known as the Catholic Church after the Reformation, was a state in itself. Right. An an actual state with an actual army, you know, like. (laughs) So, yeah. um, So if
1: I can just clarify really quickly, I do acknowledge that shame is a form of coercion. And perhaps addiction is a bad example to use with it, because I agree with you guys that obviously incentives work a lot better than uh, shame does in a lot of cases and would be preferable in almost every case in every situation. But um, we can't deny that there are behaviors that get taught to us as children by the disapproval of the community around us. Like we, you know, for example, return the cart, most of us will return the cart to the cart corral because we don't want the other people around us to think we're assholes. Some of us do it just out of the pure charity of doing the right thing. But I mean, that's not, you know, that's not everybody, you know, a lot of people do it because they don't want to be looked down upon shamefully. So I agree with your point about addiction, but I do think that Mm. that shame does bear a place in a voluntary society that doesn't rely on a state or authority to come down on people, you need that mm. social aspect to put I, like self-policing.
2: I don't think we need it at all. Um, I think what actually what we, what I think we need is a secular version of the golden rule of the Bible. Do unto others as you would, as you would, whatever it is, prefer to do, Have they do, do unto do you. you. Sure. Have them do it to you. Yeah. They. Right. Um, so, which is, that's how I try to live. That's a big. That's a big deal for me, um, especially in recent years. I've been very conscious, like the golden rule without the without the God stuff <laughs> in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not serving God by doing this. I'm serving myself. This is this is this is my major move with it. It's a huge deal. Like I take the golden rule and make it individualist, and right and self-serving. Okay. Um, self-interested, which is that yeah. If I if I return the cart at my grocery store um on a regular basis it's gonna it's gonna read down to my benefit because the grocery store will be that much more orderly the workers will be that much more happy or you know less well, unhappy
0: and let me make but a point real quick is, oh, because sorry, yeah. aldi has aldi's figured it out because aldi have you ever been to an aldi what's Ald?
2: what's aldi it's a, it's a it's grocery store, store. Oh, yeah, I've heard about it,
0: yeah. Yeah, they don't, they don't provide you bags. You have to pay for those. But uh-huh. one of the things that they've done is they have the corral filled with, um, I say buggies because I'm from the South, with buggies, and um, in order to get one, you put a quarter into the thing to release it. In order to get your quarter back, you put that thing back in the corral. Mm-hmm. I never see a buggy in the in the parking lot of Aldi.
1: Incentives. So
0: I I mean I would say that there there is some utility sometimes within these social mores, but I would say that obviously I'm not the first and best person that's ever read the Bible, but when I have read it, when I've read what Jesus was what I believe Jesus was going for, it is within there's an incentive structure.
2: There is I, don't think, a... I don't think we need that. I don't think we need an, an economic incentives either. I think those are fine. I'm not opposed to them. In fact, do them. But I'm, I, what I'm describing is a non-economic incentive system, right? Yeah. Which is about Which is about basically convincing people of what I said about the golden rule. That if you follow yeah. it, your life will be better. Your life, you'll be happier. You'll have more pleasure. You'll right. have more friends. You'll have more good stuff. That is most certainly what I've discovered because I didn't really, I lived in New York city for 17 years and you can't live, you just, you, you have to be an asshole. (laughs) Right. And then I, then I moved to Los Angeles and it's like, you're an asshole, but with a smiley face. Then finally, as I said, about a few years ago, it just hit me. I was like, no, you know, and I was also entering a tough challenging part of my life and I knew I would need all the help I could get to get through it. And, and also by the way, having a business, this is a yeah. huge deal, huge deal in business, man. If you don't live by the golden rule, you're going to, it's just, your bottom line is going to drop precipitously, right? You got to treat people really well. Yeah. yeah. But I've loved it ever since I've very consciously started doing this. It's been a few years now. Um, like, thank God, because I just get so much, so many benefits from it. Most of which, or many of which are not economic at all. They just yeah. make me feel good. They make me feel good. Me, me, only me, Right individualist, selfish, you know, um, that's what I'm saying. And once you, once you get people to get that, and it's not difficult to understand, um, you're going to have your carts returned and you're going to have people, you know, being good citizens in ways that we think are good citizens.
1: Sure. But didn't we spend the very beginning of this podcast talking about, and I'm sorry, not, not pushback just for clarity. Um, didn't we spend the first part of this (laughs) podcast, podcast talking about people not being able to catch on to ideas and they're being sort of like the masses and them not really being like clued in and easy to yeah. sway and all of those things. So the idea that like everybody would pick up on this is, um, you know, just like how, how do you mean that it would, it would work that way? Cause it seems like people do things even when they're to their detriment, knowing that it will make their world dirtier, knowing that it will not benefit them. They still do those things.
2: Well, I was talking about the ignorance about politics. Among, yeah. among americans americans are ass ignorant on politics this yeah. is just this is objectively true we've we know the studies there have been surveys asking americans where washington dc is and they flunked i mean that level of ignorance americans are super smart super smart when it comes to making everyday life more pleasurable fun and comfortable okay mm. Right. We're the world champions of that. Hello. Pop culture is our baby. Yeah, we do. (laughs) We do it all. Every way in which I've ever heard of, you know, to make life more fun and pleasurable. It's here in America. It's available to us even. Right. Um, So, yeah, there's so much. In other words, so that's the payoff and there's a lot to pay. There's a lot people can get from just treating people well
0: do you disagree with um malice when he says that most people aren't even people that they (laughs) that that there are a lot of people who have no minds to them
2: (laughs) Uh, well uh no (laughs) i don't i mean i don't i don't know exactly what he means by that i've heard him say i think something like that yeah
1: you mean like the npc thing right
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. He has said stuff like that on my show. In fact, um, I don't know. What do you think? He those are my by favorite it? episodes, by
0: the way.
1: So like, Every,
2: yeah, as a gamer, yeah,
1: as a gamer, it's just like if you're playing um, like a role playing game, and there's a guard you have to walk up to who gets you in the next door. He only has three things that he says, because that's what his function is, is he stands there by the door. And he can only say those three things. He's a non player character. So he's a mm. character in the game, but he's not embodied by like a, a human. He's not yeah. um, he's animated, as they say. Yeah.
2: So do, does he mean that people have no agency? I think what he means... No con- no, con- no consciousness? Like, what are they lacking?
0: <laughs> I think what I think. he means is that beyond the, the purely reptilian mind, that it is layer upon layer of um, programming, of... Uh, you know, oh. uh, what's the, the, what's the Pavlov's dog? Pavlov, is that the right name? Yeah, 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 yeah. The mm-hmm. bell ringing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think sure. I think what, what he, what, what he's getting at, which I can't speak for him, um, but I think what, what I've gained from that is that there are a lot of people who don't think as much as they act because they've been predisposed and programmed to act in such a way. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, um, people get de-indoctrinated all the time, too. It's true. All the, all the time, probably as much as they get indoctrinated. I mean, how many people, for instance, have left the church that they were born into, for yeah. instance? How many people, hello, have changed their political ideas radically in their lives? Hello, one right here, right? You, I was taught to love George W. Bush. <laughs> yeah, all three of us. All three of us. All three of us have had revolutions. Yeah. Right? In our thinking. Okay. So, if that and that ha- that's not unusual. That's not unusual. So, you know, that tells me that M- Michael's a little bit pessimistic about human beings, and that fits with his general attitude about a lot of things. Hmm. So, um,
1: it's interesting, no. because I find him very optimistic, like um... well, he, do,
2: he does the white pill thing, but he makes me feel like shit by the end of it. So it's not <laughs> like <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure exactly how white pill it is. I mean, it, I just don't it, he has a very I mean, he's I don't this is not a, I, I think cynicism is a great thing in politics. Great. You've got to be cynical when it comes to politics. But Michael's very cynical um he's especially cynical i think about people too not just politics i mean formal politics we should be 100 percent cynical about it all the time i mean that is what stops us from that is what's that is exactly what's standing between us and totalitarianism Mm -hmm. totally cynicism toward all formal politics all of it even when ron paul's running for president libertarians like be cynical about his old ass too right um (laughs) Other, to be next, fair,
1: other, Michael Malice made fun of him when he had a stroke. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's what's great about Michael. <laughs> he made no, fun of yeah. Joe Biden. That's <laughs> that was a great, great moment. About, yeah. And that's what's great about Michael. Yeah, but I think I think his cynicism extends to human beings a little too much. Mm. That's all. So, but as I said, I got the receipts. I got the evidence that yeah. that it's often wrong. Like people totally change and become well, red pilling. Yeah. The whole concept I, of red pilling, right? There you go. It happens all the time and
0: i think i think it's from the way i've listened to cuz i've listened to a lot of malice you know um i just enjoy the wit man but um i think it's a much more constrained section of humanity that he's talking about <clears throat> rather than all of humanity so i think i think that there's some wiggle in between where I think that you're viewing his view of people and where he actually does. So I think there's probably some middle ground there. There is one thing that I wanted to mention. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a house where my mother praised my father every day for his work ethic. And so I grew up and I worked and I worked and I tried my best to have this work ethic. And then I heard you talking to, I want to (laughs) say, I can't tell you who it was, who you were talking to. But I remember you talking about the Protestant work. It was it was Tom Woods. Um, yeah. You're talking about the Protestant work ethic, and when you were talking about how the Protestant work ethic is the idea that work is a good in and of itself, and that you work to work is to be holy in some sense, and rather than what you would see as being more positive, as work is a means to an end. I was like, holy shit, I haven't had this work ethic thing my whole life because my entire life I've been like, the only reason that I work is to make my life better, is to, to be able to buy that stupid shit that I want, to be able to feed my children, which I have too many of them because my wife's not a prostitute. We, we just go for it. Um, but beyond that like I, I you actually <laughs> I wanted to say thank you for talking about the Protestant work, work ethic because mm. before that point I saw the concept of a work ethic as an unadulterated good and then I realized oh I don't have it and that's not bad. yeah and so I want from to a, thank you for
2: that. From a li- <laughs> yeah well you're welcome. Um, spread the gospel brother So <laughs> so from a libertarian, economistic point of view, don't you Mm -hmm. agree? The Puritan work ethic is absolutely moronic. Working working for something that that gives you nothing of material value, who on earth would do that, right? That it only gives you spiritual value and only if you're a believer. (laughs) Right now, now, I can't believe I have to tell you this, but like aren't there huge benefits to believing that you were doing a godly thing, Cam, and jessica mm-hmm, my, my christian friends my first christian friends ever
1: <laughs> um,
2: <laughs>
1: thaddeus so, russell just called me his friend i'm a little bit oh, um, well, we,
2: oh well we have to we have to talk about this comment that you made in the in the chat i don't even know what you're referring to but um <laughs> are you oh, techno agorist no,
0: oh, no no that's 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 uh the guy running our um banners and oh. comments right now
2: oh well then what the hell is then let's talk about it um what is this? What what, what was super? He made a super sex quote, super sexy comment. <laughs> I, think
1: it, I think I think it, think it was... was when you were talking about how much better you looked after you were um, able to remove oh. alcohol from the picture.
2: Why well, I didn't hear him? What did he say? I didn't hear. I think he, he just said. said super
1: sexy. I think it was just a one off.
2: Really? Is that yeah. in the chat? I want I want evidence of it. Is that in the chat? <laughs> I want to be able to show. It. I want to be able to look at it whenever I you know whenever I'm feeling down. <laughs> you know, you, you know, how you do that. You take someone's flattery, like whenever you're feeling, you're like, "Oh, you got it on your phone." Still. So, uh, oh, absolutely. Li- someone thought I was se- sexy at one point in my life. Um, <laughs> one time, one time, I was
0: on an episode with Monica Perez and Jessica, and both of them called me attractive. And I can live forever Woo! knowing that two women at the same time Damn. didn't find me ugly.
2: There you go. <laughs> There's the comment. I, I wish that were you, Ken. sexy. Respect.
1: There it is, right there.
2: Is that him? Is that is that technoacarist? <laughs> yeah
1: that's
2: yep that's ryan yeah ryan i love you too i I can't i can't i can't decide i don't know if you're sexy or not though because i can't see you but i'm sure you are um and if and if i let me say let me also say this ryan and to everyone watching around the world if i were gay i would totally fuck you how about that
1: I was talking in my private group chat about that okay? how... Wait, is that
2: okay on a Christian podcast?
1: Shit, yeah. I'm about to say that I think a trans uh, <laughs> woman would be the perfect uh, mate for me. Because not only would she have a dick, but we could share clothes. And that would be awesome. So like, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, or you could just like have a, bo- a boyfriend who's a boy, but like has feelings. You know.
1: But we couldn't share clothes. <laughs> and and way.
2: and taste and taste. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you're like the super, tiny man. I love I love I, how you go from being like Miss Christian like to being like super economistic and like practical. <laughs> like, like nothing cared. Nothing matter. Love doesn't matter to me. It's it's that I get cheaper clothes this way. Fuck love. It's the
1: sharing.
2: You'll do like all you care about is getting cheap clothes. I dig it. Like yeah, more I'm than good. love. More than love. Is that well, all? It, that's all we are for you. To you is like we provide you with material <laughs> and dick.
1: I can literally hear my husband laughing in the other room right now. <laughs> ah.
2: What's funny
0: about this, though, that you don't I'm know, not a, is oh, that yeah. is that Jessica's saying this, but she's like four foot eleven. I don't think that really? there's a trans woman out there that's are four you?
2: foot eleven. No. Yeah. I no. I'm it. four
1: foot eleven, and there's definitely uh, some really? short some short girls out there for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I dated, I dated a woman who was 4'10 back in college. I get so
1: excited when I meet a person who's shorter than me. It's like the best.
2: Yeah. Well, for women, (laughs) there's no problem being short as a woman.
1: No, but, um, they offered me hormones or when I was born, they were going to inject me with hormones. And my dad's like, well, she's a girl. She should probably be okay if she's small.
2: So when I was, (laughs) when I was 16, 15, when I was 15 years old, I was five foot four. Okay. And I thought I was going to be short. And it was like a year of self-talk to prepare myself for a life as a short man.
1: Oh dear. Because,
2: because yeah. And then God, when I went on the dating apps a couple of years ago, I couldn't believe how important height is to women. Like off the charts, important, like off the chart. I knew it was important, but off the charts, important. And, um, but fortunately I grew seven inches in one summer. So, um,
1: wow. Did with painful No, to grow
2: that I mean, I'm, much. I, I'm six one, so what's the difference? Whatever that is, yeah, maybe <laughs> a year. It might have been a year for the whole thing <laughs> for the whole group. Well, I, it
0: I, am in the middle. I'm aggressively average at a at Such a sprightly five eleven. So <laughs> it hurts. Uh, what's funny is like I would I did meet my wife on a dating app, but I never really had any issue because I'm right at the cusp of them being really horrible about it. Um, Wait, who's being horrible about <laughs> what? women on apps about how short men are oh, oh yeah, yeah 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 i'm like i'm like right there i'm like on the cusp of being okay so a lot of times i didn't
2: have much <laughs> i remember age. i remember seeing this one chick on OKCupid okay or something who was, i think she said she was five zero and she was like i will not date anyone under six one <laughs> and i'm like Good luck out there, honey. I mean, what? Six one. was like, So I'm barely adequate at six one. That's barely adequate. Like, wow. That's how intense it is out there.
1: Let me tell you, ladies, I'm 4'11 and my husband's pretty tall. He's six or six one. There are like logistical issues to being that different, yeah. in size. Like there think there this go. through. <laughs> help
2: help out the short brothers. I appreciate that, Jessica. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Absolutely. Help them out. Guys, Tricking. I, I this has been amazing. I unfortunately have to go. Um, can I but, can
0: I ask you one more question
2: before yes, we get
0: off of here? Totally. Totally. Okay. Um, so this is the my last question is um, who is the nerdiest historian to ever make it out of Columbia and why is it Tom Woods? <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, now I got some more time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good question, Cam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> no, I have to, I have to spend I would like to spend some time with my girlfriend. I was up until six am writing a review for Reason magazine, and so oh. I completely like missed her for the last like twenty four hours. I haven't seen her so oh. um, okay, I mean the so the question really is like why is Tom such a fucking geek? is that it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the the background of the question,
2: yeah. well, well first of all. First of all, Tom is 50, maybe 60% less geeky than he was when I first met him. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Tom, especially in the last two years, year.
0: Do you think it's Malice's influence?
2: Dude's been going through changes, and I'm really proud of him, really proud of him. He's done a lot. No, seriously. So he's done therapy, Okay. um, and he's started to talk about that on his show. Okay. okay that's a huge deal um he's he's cursing more and more and more not on his I'm show i'm here for
3: like...
2: it i love a <laughs> tom woods curse he was on my show and he, he said shit like three times yes. yeah
0: i think maybe one of the funniest moments is he was on <laughs> a uh, a live stream with malice and uh it, like he breaks in and he didn't know that malice was live oh. and he goes you
2: fucker and it was there's another Chor- thing there's a, oh am i allowed to say this you're allowed to
1: say whatever you want, man.
2: No, no, no. Tom might have asked me not to say. Oh, Are you guys, do you guys listen to? Do you guys listen to his show? I do.
1: I actually listened to your uh, debate with Michael Brecken, uh, Breckenwald, right before yeah. we came on. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I, I destroyed him on that one. Um,
1: <laughs> I was going to grill you the, about uh, postmodernism, but um, uh, I'm glad we went the way we went. That instead. was
2: that was the most convincing, like, definite win I've ever had. Um, the. Um, the, did you notice how I seduced the audience by the way by saying such nice <laughs> things about everyone? Did you notice that? You
1: did, yeah, yeah. It's like okay. all I seduced That's you
2: with
0: with a promo video, let's be do real. You know what, an do you intro. know
2: what, Do you know what Bob Murphy has to say about me?
1: No.
0: Probably not great things. Oh I really? Like, I don't know. No, I don't know. But oh, I remember like so... the fallout from this from the time oh, you all debated or something.
1: Oh,
2: we should have like had the entire this entire show about that. Seriously. That's can we what do that? To do. Can we? Can we do this again Bob, sometime? Would Bob, you be down? Yeah. Go, but you guys gotta go listen to Bob Murphy's podcast about me.
1: Okay, I so will. He, okay. He's,
2: he's done two separate, more than an hour long episodes wow, okay. in which he just talks about me.
0: Was the last one about like Age of Consent or something?
2: <clears throat> yeah. Now, what okay. do you think? What do you think Bob Murphy thinks about me?
0: probably i don't know i i for, this, i've i've not right. watched listen to okay. those
2: episodes of his okay but okay this is not so an this is this is not an exaggeration okay this is not this is okay. truly really what he says okay i am a an agent or a tool of satan? the anti of the end yes yes sir yes of satan yes yes wow. yes okay
1: that's a huge I, like I, feather in your cap I,
2: He's not, he says, I am not the Antichrist, but I am an Antichrist. Wow. But he is totally two episodes of more than an hour each in which he lays out the argument that I am working for Satan. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Well, if we wanted to have a podcast with thought criminals, a tool of Satan would be definitely among the
2: list. But I'm going to leave you with this. Um... He's right. <laughs> of course he's right. Obviously, right? You read the book, Jessica?
1: I've read some of the books. That book.
2: doesn't that does not I thought oh. That does not you my book. book is, my book is not compatible with Christian. Oh, your
1: book. No, I actually I did finish your book. I'm sorry. I thought yeah. you had
2: <laughs> Oh, that's right. That's even worse. Oh, my god. You call yourself <laughs> a Christian but you have not read the Bible. Um, no I've problem. read the important books you're like you're like one of those like Christian peasants from like twelve like the thirteenth century. You're just like, what do the priests yep. say about it? Oh, I'll take your word for it. Okay.
1: No, give no, me no, a no. Of- I, I, haven't, I haven't I haven't been to is- a priest, sir. I've been to the book. The Bible
2: says I must give the priest a lot of money. That's so funny. And the difference between
1: me and the, the, the twelfth century peasant is that I can read. And then I have a Google and you know lots of other Well, things.
2: you're not using your literacy for godly reasons are you
0: no
1: you i'm definitely read, not Yeah. have you seen my God twitter damn. feed i am definitely not using my literacy for good you haven't read the motherfucking bible anyway. i just i mean i just need it.
0: to i need you to i need you to go on my twitter i know that you've just seen yeah. the things where i've tagged you and then and then yeah. ask that question of yourself again can i say
2: this on this christian show yeah just <laughs> my, We're my mouth
1: we people i mean that's <laughs>
2: I know. I get it. You guys are like, you guys are like punk rock Christians or whatever, right? Um, I get it. So um, that's I'm that. I'm so punk rock. Don't I look He's punk right. rock? right. Satan, I got to go because Satan's calling. Um, he wants me to have dinner right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Well,
0: Thaddeus, thank you for coming on. You're always welcome back. I would, I would love to talk about anything with you because even if we clearly aren't going to agree on everything, like it's a... You make me think and i hope i Mm. hope beyond hope that anything that i say might make you think just for a second a microsecond (laughs) the tiniest (laughs) amount of time that's all i want um but thank you for coming on and and for
1: me personally thank you for your book it it was a that book was a treat for me it it was Um, specific to my interest
2: well thanks satan because i had nothing to do with it actually I'm, hey, just I'm just his, I'm just his tool. I am just his tool. I serve, I serve the, I serve the dark one. I'm sorry. It's uh, he wrote it. He wrote it. Um, you guys both made me think this entire time.
1: Oh, awesome.
2: Broke awesome. new ground for me. Jessica, I told you, you said you were the first person to ever say that thing about my book ever. That really important thing, which, you know, I've had a few conversations about my book. So sure. honestly props to you guys. And I got to go. Okay. All right. Thank,
0: Hail, well, thank ha- you for coming.
2: Hail, Satan. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> that wasn't funny. <laughs>
1: wow. Ooh, what a trip. Thank now, you. We had guys. a tool
0: of Satan on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're going to have a thought criminal on, you know.
0: <laughs> I didn't even get to talk Dark to Lord. him about so postmodern. <laughs> yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so with that I guess we should sign off for the plebs that are still watching thank you guys for watching that definitely went in directions that we did not plan for so it was a very natural organic free-form conversation which is what I want um it's interesting to hear someone's thoughts especially about Christianity, something that I'm very intimately familiar with. I didn't give a lot of pushback. I like to, you know, put in some of my thoughts when there was a little bit of a space to say, well, no, I wouldn't agree with that. Um, But I do think that it led to a very interesting...
1: Thanks for coming, Brian. That's my friend, Brian. Very interesting
0: conversation. Hi, Brian. (laughs) It's a very family-friendly podcast christian i don't say i don't say the fuck word ever so you can you can play this for your children um (laughs) so with that i guess we'll say goodbye um he's not here to to say that i'm wrong about where to find him so if you want to find thaddeus russell you can go on twitter at thaddeus russell you can pick up his anti-christian and satan-filled book a renegade history of the united states probably anywhere books are sold i know it's on amazon Um, he also has his own online university called Renegade University, which you can find at renegadeuniversity.com. And, uh, you know, he has the unregistered podcast where he spends his time, um, talking to thought criminals, to very similar people as to who we're interested in speaking with. Um, as for us, I did make two unique shirts, based off of Thaddeus coming on the show because I told I remember I told Jessica hey Thaddeus Russell is going to come on our show and she was like oh I, I need to get a shirt that says um hookers built this country <laughs> and I was like I don't know if that's a thing that exists already but I'm going to do that so I made a shirt for the girls for the ladies or the guys if you're into that kind of thing with a picture of an old madam Maddie Stills Maddie Silks rather Maddie Silks, uh, yeah. that says um hookers built this country. And then I have one for the fellas, which with one of those horrible ape-like depictions of Irish people, uh, that says this country was built by scalawags. Uh, so I will link all of that in every description on our website, all of that. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at cam Harless. If you want to find the lovely miss Jessica green, it's at soup can Uh, we have a locals, which doesn't get a lot of play right now. So we need some people to come in and be willing to pay $2 to talk to us. Um, that's going to be the themadones.locals.com. Um, we also are on YouTube. I know currently you people know that, but anyone who's listening, if you'd rather see us talk to people and see the expressions and see how we do it there, are, let me tell you, when we talked to Hotep Jesus, there were some awkward ass Uh, expressions that you don't need to miss Um, you can find that it was uh, you can find that one at youtube.com slash the mad ones we are also on odyssey so if you want to find us on a decentralized place where we can't get canceled check us out on the odyssey app unfortunately i have my old handle on there so it's this is mlga rather than the mad ones so look for it there and we have four other shows that we do originally for you people on the MLGA network we've got um Technoagris with Ryan who Thaddeus Russell wants to fuck um we have which which is the exact opposite of what Hotep Jesus wanted to do to him um <laughs> uh, so we have uh, TechnoAgrist. We have Voluntary Vixens with Jesse and Maddie. We have uh, Thank You for Your Servers with Gary and Thaddeus Preston, which is a tech news podcast if you're, you're into that sort of thing. And then... I, bel- if I uh, Oh, and if she comes back, pray for our friend Kim. Her mom is still sick. When she comes back, hopefully we'll get new episodes of Lesbertarian. I think that Thaddeus Russell doesn't realize how much of an enigma we really are. But... With that, <laughs> I I don't have a funny video this time. So Sorry, is guys. there, since I didn't get to ask um, Thaddeus about a white pill, do you have anything this week that you want to share with the people, Jessica?
1: Yeah, dude, I just got to talk to someone who, you know, is like a a writer that I really admire. That's like an amazing thing that happened just right. because we had the balls to ask. Like you can accomplish amazing things if you reach past what you think your limits are. And that is such a white pill to me. Like where, where is the limit? Because it's certainly not where I thought it was.
0: (laughs) We'll see. We'll see how far you're in my charm and my ability to make uh, some videos, uh, to entice people. Also shirts. I did send Thaddeus a shirt. The, uh, scally, uh, this country was built by scallywags. But with that, dear audience, every last good looking one of you, uh, do your best to live your life the way you want to live it. Do it how you want to live it. And if anyone tells you any differently, tell them to go to hell.